okay? That is not my purpose. Rather, I really want us to discuss the other two sides of that. This, uh, this kind of fascinating aspect of hope amidst difficulties, and also the telling of a story, specifically the telling of your story related to hope. Now, I don't know whether or not you understand the distinctions between Obi-Wan Kenobi and old Ben Kenobi, or if I just sent you through another translation error. But I do want you to know that today there is hope. We serve one who fills us with hope, and that is the story that we need to tell. So welcome to Star Wars Jesus today. Lest I be uh, slightly sacrilegious on that one. Um, I do want us to pray together uh, before we start. Um, I'm going to ask Nick to stand up and turn around and uh, pray for all that is ahead of us. Thanks, Nick. Um, As I usually sit in back and hide from all of you, um, I get the chance to watch all of you from behind, and so it's really kind of fun to to see all of you, see who's singing, see who's not. Rachel, way to go. I was watching you, man. You're doing it. So, way to go. Um, I also see four new faces here who I have no idea who you are. Give Give me a synopsis. All Judson students, so you know Jesus better than me. No? Is that not how Bible school works? I, you, know, you can tell I went to a secular university. So, I'm just an ordinary guy, so just relax, okay? Um, to help maybe you guys understand, or, or Aaron, good to have you back. Our church is, is not with a full-time pastor right now. Our uh, elders and others are speaking and uh, I thank Garth again for last week covering when a bunch of us were gone. And I guess it was mild mayhem here and he still has hair. So good job, buddy. Um, just to let you know what's ahead, uh, Zeke Romano is next week. In two weeks, Nick will be speaking and then uh, Pastor Don will be uh, after that. For myself, my name is John, John Palpin. This is my wife right there. If you find anything good today, it probably is credit to her. Um, Otherwise, the rest of you have known this for years, so there's no great surprise there. Um, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a professional speaker. In fact, I was telling Nancy that this week helped me realize that this new term of collaboration that's being thrown all over is not me. I'm self-employed. I work by myself. I don't collaborate well. Um, Working in group projects, like, drives me nuts. And um, so, uh, there you go. That's me. You know, uh, I'm just an ordinary guy. If you can find anything of value today, uh, it is that it comes out of this book that I'm using. This isn't my writing. This is the only good that I have to offer you otherwise. The... uh, the last week, I've had the opportunity to visit a couple churches and situations, and I noticed that all the really cool, young, hip preachers, 
use an iPad. So I brought mine today. I am titling this, The Reason for Our Hope. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, electronic devices, whatever you have, to 1 Peter 3.15. I'm going to need to use glasses from time to time, so forgive me. Yes, I am over 60, and things on the page just don't appear anymore. uh, So I print them in really large font on here if I need to read. Um, I would like to read this together. Um, I'm reading from the New International Version. I'm trusting Dave has it up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. This is uh, Peter writing, thus the title of 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So I've got two basic questions to help you get started. And this is another aspect of who I am. I don't ask rhetorical questions. So when I ask questions, I really want you to like, help me out here. This, this is an interesting verse, and I'll explain why we're here today. But I want to ask you these two questions. Do you do this? Are you ready to do this? Nancy shaking her head, yes. A lot of, yeah, no? Yeah, you are? Step up here, Grace. Come on, you're going to, you're always ready. No. No. No, she says. I'm ready, but not right now. Well, I'm just saying, that's what it says. Always be prepared, Grace, to give an answer to everyone. We're kind of sort of everyone here. Rachel, you want to come up? She says, Mom, save me from the freaky man up front. <laughs> Always be prepared. The, my goal is really not to embarrass you, put you on the spot. Um, this is an interesting passage that I'm actually going to blame Lynn Malusinich for because that's where the genesis of all this came from. Dave and I kind of hide in the back and we chit-chat and do little things and and uh, it was probably six, eight weeks ago um, that we were discussing something uh, between ourselves. And, uh, and it, it just sent me back to this verse mentally. And so I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, so, Lynn, if you want to just come up and take over, I'll let you. But the concept in formal terms is called apologetics. Okay, it's defined as a branch or the branch of theology concerned with the defense or the proof of Christianity. That's what Peter's saying here, saying, hey, let's always be ready to explain why you have hope. And so this is what I was thinking about when when Dave and Lynn were talking about apologetics. Now, for me, apologetics is not debate. I'm not a debater. I never liked it in college. I'm not a quick thinker. Um, you know, when somebody gives me a slam, you know, like 12 hours later, I go, oh, <coughs> yeah, but they're gone, you know, so I, it doesn't do any good. So I'm just not a debater. Rather, I want to think of apologetics of this ability to tell someone a story. Most of us are really good at that. But it's our story. It's your story to be able to tell someone 
what you believe and why you believe it. So that's really what I mean um, by apologetics. Peter takes an interesting turn here in, in kind of giving us this pragmatic position to practice this storytelling. Um, it's, it's a neat form of apologetics. He says, always be prepared to everyone who asks. Now that is a heck of a challenge. Because as I kind of mulled this over, I thought, well, I'm always got to be ready for everyone, like anyone who might come up. To me, that's not just one preparation. That's probably a bunch of different preparations. Because if I'm going to go into the schools and talk to the kids at Crossroads, I'm probably going to speak to them differently than I would an adult. If I'm dealing with someone from a foreign culture, like when I went to Liberia with Mr. Duna, their concept of me as an American is completely different than your concept of me as an American. So I'm going to have to kind of change the way I present that. What about if we're actually talking to each other, fellow believers, versus someone who says they're agnostic? Are you going to change your preparation? Are you going to change your story? I think you almost have to. And yet Peter says, hey, you're always supposed to be prepared. So how prepared are we? I want to encourage you that it's kind of like a Testimony Sunday. We do really good at Testimony Sundays here. It's just you have to add a Monday through Saturday component of it. So that you're, you're ready to share what's going on. To encourage other people. Tell them where you're at. Be honest, open. I'm not saying you pour your guts out to somebody you just met. But always be prepared to explain the hope that you have as believers. Because that is who Peter's writing to. He's writing to us believers. Why do we have to do this? Well, let's go back to our Star Wars analogy here for a moment. This girl, the, the hero, heroine of the story, her name, character name is Jen Erso. And she uses hope as this powerful motivator. Okay, I'm a geek, I, you know. First Star Wars came out when I was in uh, 11th grade, and so yeah, I've been following it from the beginning. And, um, and I do find it really kind of fascinating, especially this particular movie, to say, if I take all their words, transpose it into Christian ease, it's really kind of a fascinating thing. You look at this same vignette and say, I'm willing to die for something. I have a cause. I have hope. And it really is kind of a fascinating character. She uses hope as a motivator to get people to literally lay down their lives for a greater, a higher cause. Now, I also find kind of find it funny that we're called the Alliance, the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is also a Star Wars term, but they leave out the Christian missionary part. But at any rate, this is a a great organization that we're part of. And we, as individuals, we, as Alliance Bible Church, we, as the Christian Missionary Alliance worldwide, have the opportunity to share this story, this hope, to a world that hurts, 
Um, it's where life's realities just wear us down. It's uh, in our American culture, uh, the concept of God, who He is, daily diminishes the importance of God. Hope is desperately needed. I want to share an Alliance video with you to help you better understand who we are, what we're doing in this message of hope. The Alliance was born out of a passion for Jesus and a heart for lost people. We are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family that believes that all people should have the opportunity to hear the good news of salvation. Christ is our foundation and the local church our home. From the local church, we make disciples who understand God's calling to become more like Jesus and to share the hope we have in Him. God's Word is alive and at work in us. His Holy Spirit transforms us spurring us on to love and good deeds. Over 130 years ago, this same reality was stirring in the heart of Pastor Albert Benjamin Simpson. As he reached out to immigrant dock workers in New York City, his burden for lost people grew. Simpson rallied a small group of believers around a common vision to reach the unreached, unaware that they were paving the way for future generations of Alliance work. Pioneer missionaries to Africa made significant sacrifices. Some gave their lives, planting seeds that would one day blossom into a vibrant church movement. Supporters back home sold their most precious belongings in order to fund the work, and an alliance was born. Today, there are more than 2.3 million alliance believers in Africa. Throughout the world, 6.3 million Christ followers worship in more than 22,000 alliance fellowships. Our heart for the nations has resulted in the U.S. Alliance becoming one of the most diverse evangelical churches in America. More than 2,000 congregations worship in 37 languages. Many immigrants to the U.S. who were embraced, discipled, and equipped for ministry by Alliance churches have since returned to their home cultures with a burden for the lost. Local Alliance churches provide the foundation for our worldwide mission through prayer and sacrificial giving to the Great Commission Fund. Since its founding, our North American family of churches has launched over 8,000 missionaries into more than 80 nations. Worldwide, Alliance hospitals and clinics, radio stations, and schools proclaim the good news. In the United States, institutes of higher education prepare believers for kingdom service. Alliance camps and retirement communities make disciples across generations. With a passion for lost people, the Alliance family continues to expand its reach into areas of our world where there is little or no access to the gospel. This can often mean results come slowly, but we trust that God will bring in the harvest as He has in generations before. Our commitment to reaching the world for Christ remains strong. Our global team of more than 700 workers is trained in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Long-term alliance workers labor to see healthy, self-replicating churches established. Short- to mid-term workers come alongside U.S. and international alliance ministries, bringing needed skills while shaping a new generation of kingdom-minded believers. We are creative and nimble, using our resources wisely in order to have the greatest impact. Because of their professional expertise, the Alliance business people have gained access to many countries that are closed to the gospel. In cultures where written communication is not readily embraced, 
We use oral storytelling as a means to share the good news in ways that rapidly spread from village to village. Compassion and Mercy Associates, or CAMA, is the Alliance's relief and development arm. CAMA workers focus on holistic ministry, partnering with churches and communities to meet the physical and spiritual needs of people ravaged by poverty, disease, war, and natural disaster. As we find new ways to bring Jesus to our neighborhoods and the nations, our message remains unchanged. We come from diverse backgrounds, but are drawn together by our desire to see all people find new life in Jesus. Each of us plays a unique role in seeing Christ's love transform our world, united in His love and empowered by His Spirit. We pray. We give. We love. We proclaim Jesus. We are family. We are the Alliance. And those of you who know me know that I really enjoy being a cheerleader for the Alliance. But, you know, it's a great work. But ultimately, it boils down to this simple message. And the Alliance has done it steadily. And, I, and we don't have exclusive rights to it. I fully embrace our brothers that preach the same message, that Jesus is the only way. He's the hope. He's the good news. He's what's out there for us. We do live in a world of a lot of hurt. And um, I want you to take a moment and take this word hope. And I want you to think of someone in your life that comes to mind when you say hope or think hope. I think I'm probably like a lot of you in that... um, For me, the one that stirs my inner being the most uh, when I hold hope is my children. Nancy and I have five kids. They're grown and and have left home now. In all worldly standards, they're doing fine. They got jobs. They take care of themselves. Don't call me for money, which is... um, But... I see them in a culture that is gnawing away at some of the things that Nancy and I hold. But I have to be really careful in talking to my kids because I go back 40 years and I think, you know, I did the same thing to my dad. I kind of irritated him with some of the stuff. Contemporary Christian music. Uh, uh, We only sing hymns in this family. Okay, there's always been a little bit of a cultural pounding, a a generational shift. The proper version of this is adapting this story to culture and who God has made us to be. And so for my kids, some who I believe are very sincere in their walk with the Lord, others who are not, I hold out hope that they will go the distance, that they will be able to get into eternity. At the same time, I hope the same thing for me. 
Um, can I persevere? Because I've seen other 50, 60-year-old guys get divorced, walk away from their marriages, uh, fall away from the faith. So I'm not immune. So I have to keep working at it. I have to keep my nose in this book. Uh, I have to listen to my wife and to Scott and to this church and to most of the women in this church who are smarter than me. Um, and by the way, ladies, I'm really thankful for it, so keep it up. All right? um, however, our culture, um, Barnard Research uh, is delivering some staggering stuff, and uh, I just want to read one little vignette that came out of our devotions yesterday. Um, this is from Moody. Um, and it says this, Atheism and agnosticism are higher now than ever among American young people. According to research done by the Barna Group, among those of Generation Z, 21% declare themselves to be atheists or agnostics, compared to 15% for millennials, 13% for Generation X, 9% for baby boomers. The percentage of teens who identify as atheists is double that of the general adult population. Another statistical heartbreak is that suicide is the number one killer of teenagers outside of car accidents. There is a great need for hope. And somehow we've got to share this message. Well, I think Peter knew this. Um, so let's spend some time going back, taking a closer look at First Peter, and, um, and try and understand why he penned this stuff to us, this admonition. Um, if you have your, your Bibles open, flip to one, chapter one, verse one. It says right there, Peter's the author. He identifies himself. Now, we know this guy. I know you people, most of you, I'm guessing judges and students, you've probably heard of this guy, Peter. Um, He understood the need for hope. He had denied his relationship with Jesus three times. Also, in 1-1, he is writing this story, this letter to other believers. He calls them God's elect, scattered all over the place. That's us. Okay, we're God's people, we're kind of scattered from where Peter lived. So this message is for us. He immediately launches into his theme of hope in chapter 1, verse 3. Um, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, God's mercy, He has given us, the believers, new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, for Peter, this was really personal. This was a deeply personal, inside-his-gut experience. He knew what it was like to have no hope. Here was a guy, he said, I'll never deny you. I'll never turn my back on you. I think he had a southern accent. I'm not sure. That's why I did that. Um, And yet, there he was, faced with the fact that now Jesus was dead. He had denied him. And he's got to deal with it. But the good news is Christ came back to life. He appeared to Peter. He forgave him. He restored him. 
And this is the hope. This is the gut inside of Peter that can write this letter saying, look, I know what it means to be down in the dumps. I know what it means to be there and come back from it. There is hope. And so this, this uh, concept of hope, now there's lots of themes in, in 1 Peter, lots of themes, but they're all undergirded by this story of hope. Uh, let's jump forward to chapter 1, verse 13. It says, prepare your minds for action. Uh, am I on the right? Yeah. Yeah. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Again, here's a guy who knows what that means. Now, remember, when he's writing this, this is approximately the year 60. Um, interesting side of history, if you aren't familiar with it, that now Christ had risen from the dead. Peter had seen him ascend back into heaven. And now the church is spreading. Don was sharing in, uh, in Sunday school today. Then one day... 8,000 people, 3,000 in the morning, 5,000 at night, came to know Christ because of Peter's testimony. Not a bad day by any standards, okay? The church was growing like crazy, but at the same time, Rome had a rule that new religions were outlawed. And so this, this thing that became known as the way got labeled a religion, and about this time the emperor started to crack down on people. And so persecution was really starting to come. And if you read the history, and you know, you probably some people know it from, from uh, movies and storytelling, you know, people fed to the lions. Um, this is actually part of the crackdown that occurs. So this is why Peter's writing about hope to all these people spread out. Because he realized that Stuff was happening. They needed to control their minds. They needed to understand what they believed. And they needed to be able to live it out in this culture that was getting ready to beat the snot out of them. Because that was the place they lived. Maybe it sounds familiar to some of us. Let's rip through uh, 1 Peter real quickly. Chapter 1. Be disciplined. Be holy as you wait. We as Americans are not real good at waiting. Really bad at waiting, in fact. A small vignette that brought this to my attention. My, my father's family was from France. They came over for the first time to visit us. We took them to Washington, D.C. And I remember standing in front of the Constitution of the United States. Look at that. Look at that. That thing now is, what, 240-some years old. Now, this was a number of years ago. But at that time, that was our founding document. And not, my dad's family's comment was kind of a laugh. And they said, you know, our house is older than that. European concept of history, completely different from American. We are impatient. We do not understand how to hold up to the test of time. So when Peter's talking about, hey, you got to wait, we don't do that real well. We don't do it well. So Peter is really up to date with who we are. Chapter 2, he says, hey, get rid of your old ways. Start growing. 
Learn to recognize who you are now. You're taking on this new being. He calls us chosen people. In fact, I found in my Bible here, Nick, that you told me this is your life verse. Is it still? It was when you told me. Anyway, <laughs> it, that was a life ago, I guess. You know. Anyway, this aspect of being chosen people um, in chapter 2 is, is a neat concept. He's taken us and brought us new. Did Peter understand this? You bet he did. He understood what it was to be totally redeemed, given new hope. Chapter 3, he follows up with um, some personal instructions to husbands and wives. He understands daily living, extends that to all of us, learning to live this brand new life of trying to follow Christ. Chapter 4 tells us what it means to live for God and that suffering for following Jesus is quite likely. He ends with instructions to elders and young men, which... uh, That can be a whole series of sermons for a long time. But uh, this same Peter ends with a basis of hope. Let's uh, shift over to chapter 5, verse 10, if you would. It says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, Firm, steadfast. Peter's telling his own story here. You know, and I kind of like that. I'm a a little bit of a flitty kind of guy. I like the idea of being stable. Nancy's family, they're stable. You know? My family, man, we're adventurers. We like to go, move, get out and do things. Don't do the same thing twice. You know, I've been driving to Elburn for 24 years. I've found every possible route between here and Elburn other than going that way all around the world. I haven't tried that one yet. But I I don't like doing the same thing twice. It's just an oddity of mine. I'm trying to stay with one wife all my life. That's my, my major goal right there. And she says it will be. If there's anything else, it will be the end of my life. Um, but that's another whole story on its own which I'm sure I will be hearing later on on the way home to Elburn by a new rate, new road. Um, Peter sends, ends with this great encouragement, being strong, be steadfast, firm. I like that. Right in the middle of all this is this concept from 1 Peter. Let's, let's read it in context as Nick would advocate that we all do. The, the larger picture of this, um, let's read from 13 to 16. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, I don't know about you. I, I don't think I've ever seriously suffered for Christ. Um, I've been called some goofy names, um, but that's really not much of suffering. Um, so, so this aspect of truly suffering for Christ is a little foreign to me. But I can understand the concept. For me, 
when I read the stories in history of the Alliance, here's people who have persevered for years, who have been willing to sacrifice it all. And I wish I had time, and, and all I can do is encourage you. I've been uh, reading Alliance history for, for uh, most of my adult life. And um, just am- amazing stories of, of people who are willing to give it all, to sacrifice. Why? You know, I've always been a little fearful, and Nancy and Scott know this, I've always been a little fearful of getting confronted with a life and death situation because I'm not sure how I'll react. Will I be the kind of guy who rises to the occasion? Will I shrink back? I don't know that any of us can answer that question until we're there. But this verse, again, causes me to think, I need to at least mentally prepare for the possibility. And Peter's saying here, hey, if you're going to follow Christ, it may get to that. So, am I going to persevere? Am I going to hang tough? I hope so. This is a big, big challenge. He doesn't leave us hanging, though. The answer is actually right there in the beginning of the verse. It says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. I think that's the answer. For our story, for your story, if indeed you made the decision to follow Christ, then continue to set him apart in your own heart. Figure it out, what he wants you to do, who he wants you to be. Be true to who he made you be. Um, Doesn't mean it's necessarily easy. Um, Sometimes I get on people's nerves just being me. Right, Garth? Um, No. That's that's gracious, Garth, speaking. Um, You know, even in my good intentions, I kind of ticked Garth off this week. And and Garth's a pretty patient guy. but I realize I can, I can be aloof. I can say things that aren't intended to be mean, but they come across that way. And so even, I mean, life's tough. It's tough to communicate. It's tough to help one another get through stuff. And it's, it's probably mine, and forgive me if I'm, I sound like I'm pointing some fingers, but I'm guessing it might be your probability that sin nature sometimes screws things up. So, maybe practicing and preparing for a situation will help me get through it a little better. I want to add just some other further notes, a couple of few notes on this particular verse. Um, These are from Bible Hub. Um, the, the aspect of, of the beginning of the verse where it says, set apart Christ as Lord. It's fun to read that in some different versions um, because I think that, that the, the English verbs mean different things to different people. To set apart Christ in your heart may not resonate with someone Whereas the New Living Translation says, Worship Christ as Lord of your life. English Standard Version says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. New American Standard says, Sanctify Christ 
as Lord in your hearts. Some people may understand sanctification better than honoring, better than worshiping. But what, whatever tone you understand better, that's the message that Peter's sharing here, is this guy needs to be everything in the heart to start the story. That's the start of your story. That's where everything grows from. The other aspect related to this um, that I found interesting from Bible Hub is this um, the hope that's in you or the hope that you have. A number of versions literally take it as what is inside your being. Whereas the NIV says the hope that is in you, um, or the hope that you have. To me, having something is a little different than it's inside me. You know, it's deep down in there. And, and so when I'm thinking about this guy, Peter, it's not something that he goes, yeah, 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 I just went out and acquired it, and now I have Jesus. No, it's down in there. He knew what it was to be at the bottom of the hole, no hope, and suddenly Jesus reappears says, Pete, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I forgive you. Oh, by the way, I'm going to ask you this question three times. You may get a little irritable. But, take care of my sheep. And here he is, 30 years later, passing that message on to other people. A couple other quick notes. This verse does also have this important question. Be prepared to tell everyone who asks. So, um, I grew up at a college where we had a guy who stood on a soapbox and um, preached. Um, I know that a number of people thought him as a complete lunatic. And I think uh, that would probably still occur. Um, And I don't really know how to react to that. I'm not the guy who's going to stand up on a soapbox and scream at people. Um, But my children have also told me that I am way too invasive. Okay, Like if you guys came over to my house for dinner, they'd say, don't ask them those questions. You don't even know them. You're not supposed to ask those questions. We're embarrassed to have our friends come over because you ask them all kinds of stuff like, who's their parents? (coughs) Really? Okay, so I'm sorry, I'm invasive. Um, But when someone, Peter here says, asks you about it, you better be prepared. Because what that means is the opportunity is there. This has been led by the Spirit. This isn't you doing it. It's not you going out and evangelizing, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. In fact, I'm all for those of you who are really good at it. I think Zeke, did Zeke kick out on us? Zeke is really good. He's security. Way to go, Zeke! Um, Zeke is really good at this, uh, of talking to co-workers and things like that. Um, He's a rather amazing guy in that vein. Um, I try to generate conversations with some of the guys that I meet um, in the construction world. Many times it includes words, not mine, but they include words that I don't normally use. Um, 
And, uh, and so it, it's a whole different type of conversation. I was laughing with Nancy yesterday. We were at an event, and I said, those guys are contractors. How do you know that? They use language that I know about. Okay? Um, there, there are cultures that each of you guys are in where you speak things differently than other people. You know how to communicate in that, that culture. So sharing your faith is, is dynamic. But, but, when someone asks you about it, do you see the difference? It's crystal clear. God's going, Psh, are you prepared? Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. No, I'm not ready yet. Okay. So for everyone who asks, the other aspect is this: uh, the verse ends with "with gentleness and respect." These these concepts are are just beautiful in the sense that, um, again, it's kind of this cue place thing that we've talked about: asking questions, listening well. Um, it's 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 kind of respecting where you're at. Um, and the willingness to listen to who I am. Um, I will tell you that the old gray-haired guy gets irritated because I feel frequently it's a one-way street. They want to tell me what my problems are, why I'm closed off, but they really don't want to hear what I think. Um, So, learning to navigate these situations is challenging. Maybe I should prepare some more. I want to end here today with just a few uh, vignettes. Um, For me, um, I do try to prepare mentally my story different ways. I love working in Crossroads. I love working with the kids. In many cases, I don't know what their family backgrounds are like. But I hear enough conversation to know that they're, and we're open enough, we're not hiding who we are. Their parents know that we're going to talk about the Bible, we're going to talk about Jesus. So their parents want them exposed to this in some manner. But I also hear these kids, last year a little girl say, my parents are getting divorced. And they're her cohorts to go, that's okay, that's normal, don't worry about it. And I go, eh, no, it's not normal, okay? There's a better way. There's a, a greater hope. But, you know, am I really going to say that to a third grader? Okay, they're, they're not ready to hear that. Their life's crushing in. So I, I would prepare differently for that third grader who's experiencing divorce than I would go over and have dinner with any of you. Because you know where I'm coming from. And so I can speak a little more freely. So I do believe that there's a a challenge to us to have our story, know who we are, have it prepared, but be sensitive enough to shape it. And frankly, I don't think I'm telling you anything that you guys don't know. I'm just sharing where I'm at. And bringing you to this point. This aspect of hope is, is really kind of fascinating in the sense that the very word hope evokes the sense that there's trouble. It means that there's something going on that I need hope for. Um, call it life, call it whatever you want. 
but, but it's a powerful concept. And the fact that, that Peter is this guy who went through it in, in an amazing fashion and challenges us to do it. For Nancy and I, um, it recently came to a head in a situation where um, the hope that we hold out gives us no opportunity to do anything. Okay? Dads are famous for this. Daughter calls up, Dad, I'm in Walmart. I lock my keys in the car. Oh, don't worry about it. I know how to take care of this. Wait, you're four states away. You don't really know how to take care of this. What do I do? Take a rock, break the window, and you get your keys. No, Dad. See, we're, we're fixers. That's what we do. We fix things. We know how to do this. Okay? But suddenly you're put in a situation where you can't do anything about it. What are you left to? What are you left to, to do? Well, I hope that if you believe this book, you're really only left with two things. One for yourself, one for everybody else, or whoever Mr. or Miss Hope is in your mind. And that's what I want you to picture right now. The person you had in your mind. I want you to imagine there's nothing else you can do. Now we're going to go to the non-rhetorical question. I want to hear. There's nothing you can do for that person who you thought of. Nothing physically. You can't go over there, fix their problem. Nothing else you can do. What can you do? You don't get the answer. Anybody? Pray? Anything else? Trust? Tell me a little bit more. What do you mean by trust? Okay, you're going to trust God. Okay, I just want to clarify that. And I'm going to say that's exactly where Nancy and I boil down to. All we can do is pray. Can't do squatcho else. And, uh, and frankly, it's been an incredibly liberating position. Because I can't do anything else. Still bothers me greatly. I can be anxious. I can be worried. Lots in here about that. But as far as functionally doing something, some activity that I can do, all I can do is pray and trust that God's going to do something for this person. Last um, weekend, Nan and I went back to Pennsylvania. Some of you know that's where we met. Um, And uh, the church that we met in... um, and where we attended shortly after we were married. Um, I have not been back there for 24 years since I moved to Illinois. Now, my folks lived in Pennsylvania, but I I didn't even think about it until last weekend that every time I went back to Pennsylvania, I was using the weekend to travel. So I never saw those people again. And so I started thinking about you guys. What if I never saw you again? What if something happened and for 24 years... Or ever, I wouldn't see you. Have I left something of value in your life? And so uh, my mom's 90, almost 91. And, um, and that church is the church I grew up in. We moved uh, to that uh, church. It's a Christian Missionary Alliance church. Rah, rah. Um, when I was in seventh grade, 
And um, there are families in that church who are you guys. When I was a teenager and all the way up until we were married and had four children of our own and left to come to Illinois. And um, I used an excuse of uh, college football to go back to a football game there. And, um, but my real purpose was to go to church and to find these people, and in specific, one family, who allowed me to be a punk in their home. Um, let me come tear up the, the boys' bedroom while we played inside while it was raining and just be an obnoxious, you know, 16-year-old. Um, did stuff with their sons. Um, kind of kept in touch through the years, but had never, ever told them thank you. And um, so we, we went back, and we went to church, and I'm sitting in church, and, and we're seeing people. And a couple of things happened suddenly for me. On a personal level, I realized Nancy and I surrounded ourselves with a really good group of people, partially thanks to my parents who exposed me to those type of people, partially by our choices and our friendships. But as I looked around, I went, look at this. These guys have all beaten the odds. Not a single one of these people have divorced. They're still walking with the Lord all the years later. That's what they need to know today. They need to know that those are two things that I admire. And so for me to say that to them after church, much like we're going to be dismissed and everybody's going, eh, well, kick off bed until 7.20, so relax, Scott. Um, after church, to try to catch some of these people and say, I want to tell you something. I don't have time to talk about football or even my own children or where I've been 24 years. I need you to know this. Thank you, number one, for not killing me. Number two, for knowing Christ, for staying married, and persevering through the years. It's really nice to come back 24 years later and still see you here in this church following Christ. I never expected people to cry over that. Um, A little word sometimes makes a big difference. And it was only the fact that I had mentally prepared for that opportunity with other believers. Um, I knew I wasn't going to probably see them again. Some of them are my parents' age. The next time I may see them will be at their funerals. Um, When those opportunities come, I I was telling Scott this morning, I felt like last weekend was the closest I've been to God's will in a long time. Had nothing to do with football. It had to do with being around God's people, being prepared to say what I felt he wanted me to say and then saying it and getting it out there quickly. Um, So, there's First Peter 3. Um, yesterday, Nancy asked me to go to a funeral for a gentleman who is the husband of a teacher she taught with. I didn't know the guy. I had every reason to not go, you know, in legitimate terms. 
But to hear his life story was marvelous. Here was a guy um, who was a carpenter at Wheaton College, um, had spent his life doing things for other people, um, was kind of a, a Dave Malusnich kind of guy who, who rose to a level of responsibility, but also went on to study and get his, uh, forgive me, Don, I forget all the technical terms, his certification to be a pastor. Um, and uh, in his retirement years, was helping to, to pastor churches and fill in pulpits and, and things like that. And suddenly, he was over at somebody's house working and just keeled over. And um, I think, you know, did everybody have the opportunity to tell him? Did he have the opportunity to tell other people? From what I heard, he did. And this guy was an inspiration. I told Nancy after the funeral, I was really glad that she asked me to go. Um, Because the fact is, none of us have any guarantee uh, of anything. Um, So don't waste your opportunities. Don't miss the opportunity to say, Don, I love you. Don't miss the opportunity to hug Dave Malusnich. (laughs) He knew it was coming. Um, You know, because you you just don't know. Um, I went to a funeral earlier this year for a guy named Gary Bostrom. Gary was six months older than me. He was in my church when I was... uh, First, you know, kindergarten through third grade. Um, the reason I kept up with Gary is because his sister married my brother. And so there was kind of a family connection. Had Gary and I lived in the same state, we would have been best friends. I'm absolutely positive. Because Gary followed Christ. He held his marriage together. He did things that I deeply admired. And Gary was a... Colorado fitness junkie. You know, he's one of these doofs who can run up mountains and not suck wind. I hated the guy for that. Um, Gary was riding a bike one day, had a massive heart attack, and died out on the trail. Um, No indication anything should happen. Um, These are life's situations that get thrown at us. And I know that each of you, whoever you thought of, That's just one of many situations. Deaths in the family, people that have walked away from Christ, hurts that you carry, whether it's from the past or or things that you just don't forgive yourself about. People you genuinely love, but there's nothing you can do for them. They don't want your help. They don't listen to you. They have... No value in this book. So what can you do? You can pray for him. That's it. But you can also be prepared to tell him the hope that you have. It's uh, it's a neat challenge, Lynn. Thanks for being part of a backdoor gossip session. You know that made me mull this over for the last couple of weeks. Um, you guys, each those of you that I know, you each have an element of a marvelous story. I would really enjoy hearing your four. But I tend to be invasive, so I'm not going to do it right now. Um, But for those of you who I know, um, 
you have a great story. Share it. You know, I, I look around here, and I remember thinking, you know, in the music, Garth, thank you for picking that out, okay? But I like Gary's drumming a lot better than what I heard up there, you know? Gary probably never would think that being a little drummer boy ministers to me. Um, but thank you, Gary. I do appreciate it. Um, these are the things that need to be expressed. And I've said some things to some of you from time to time. But let's encourage one another while today is still today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and goodness in our lives. You, uh, you lay some good challenges on us. Uh, you, you have forgiven me. I'm sure you've forgiven all of us far more than we deserve. Uh, somehow, you keep seeing good in us. And for that part that is deep within us, let that part rise up and be seen by others. Help us to set apart you in our hearts to prepare and be ready so that when you give us the opportunity, we can tell people this great hope that you've given us. Help us to persevere. Help us to love one another, to forgive an abundance of sins, stupid words, miscommunication. Help us to encourage one another to build each other up, to spur on the next generation to love and good works, to always be willing to be filled by you so that we can leak out on other people. Whoops. Thank you, Father, for um, all this good stuff you give us and for this church and time together. I praise you, I thank you, and I ask your blessing on each individual, each relationship, each marriage, each family, as they go from this place to do things. That you will remind them of the goodness of who you are deep down inside of them. We praise you because of Jesus Christ and in his name. Amen.